Are you willing to put aside all speculation and announce to the people here that you are not running in 2020? No. Overall, wages are down. People are working longer hours for less money. Obamacare is illegal immigrants. Uh, African Americans uh, being mistreated in society. Noting that world leaders laughed at President Trump. Trade war. You know what it is? My new slogan. America great. Thanks for joining us for another episode of 2020 Vision, the United States Study Center's weekly look at what's shaping the campaign in the US presidential election race. I'm Drew Sheldrick, and this week we're looking at the power of late night comedy programs in the US political discourse. Late Night has become a popular platform for politicians and those running for political office to shape and reshape their image. But it wasn't always this way. And what are the pitfalls of relying on comedians for our news and current affairs? Our guest this week is an American studies lecturer who teaches a course here at the University of Sydney exploring American comedy and humour and its relationship with politics. But before we meet him, let's have a listen to some of the ways Late Night has been used as a tool for political hopefuls. I would like you now to give a real tonight welcome to... Senator from Massachusetts, Mr. John Kennedy. In his earlier profession, he used to write off in the sunset with the words, the end on his back. But there are those who would say that Ronald Reagan, uh, 1975, may only be the beginning. Would you all please the former governor of California, Ronald Reagan. Did you ever think about playing professionally? You know what your drummer said? What? He said if this music thing doesn't work out, you can always run for president. That's kind of the way. You twist, Chuck. He's failing them terribly. And this is why he needs to be recalled. And this is why I'm going to run for governor of the state. No, 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 I want to ask you because the next time I see you, 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 you could be the president of the United States. Can I mess your hair up? <laughs> Go ahead. With my hair stuff. You want to touch mine? Sure. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> it's real. It's real. Elizabeth, this this could by the end, but by, by the by the time the election comes round, this could be how many people are running for president in the Democratic Party, <laughs> given the I rate think of I people. Some. Please welcome back to the Late Show, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand. I'm just curious. Uh, do you have anything you would like to announce? Yes, I'm filing the exploratory committee. Dr. Rodney Tavera, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Uh, late night comedy programs in the United States have become a popular platform for 2020 candidates wanting to announce their campaigns and for political satire in general. Uh, what led to this switch from what was formerly, I guess, sort of lighthearted variety hours to sort of a more hitting political commentary? I think the question of whether it is hard-eating political commentary is one to consider, but the Trump presidency has obviously innovated uh, comedians and the populace more generally, both in favour of him and against him. And I think Trump represents a clear, vivid target for American political satire. He doesn't act like any other president has previously. He doesn't speak in the way he is supposed to as a president. And he would seem to hold views that are at odds with the vision that many Americans have of America itself. But he's also a media figure. 
I don't think the impact of his uh, name recognition, of his having a, a television program, yeah. of essentially being a reality TV star, I don't think that can be underestimated for how much that uh, had a positive impact for him. And so as a figure of the media, he's very good for business. And that, that is the business of media. Yeah. And so having a president who tweets constantly, who says outrageous things, who speaks in a provocative way, uh, allows uh, the late night talk show hosts to have a continual target that they get to uh, make fun of, essentially. But what has kind of changed, I think, is the stridency with which late night talk show hosts go after the president and yeah. his politics and his policy. Yeah, it's pretty consistent. Yeah, there are breakdowns of his cabinet. There are looking at his policy. And some of this is a result of someone like Stephen Colbert having previously done a uh, satirical program on Comedy Central and bringing with him this character that was meant to lampoon right-wing conservatism Though he's no longer doing that character, he brings the kind of inherent criticism that comes with that satirical character that he was doing with him. Yeah. So now it's just sort of out. So I am a kind of liberal and I think everything the president does is pretty much wrong and here are the reasons why. I have a platform in which I can criticise him and I'm going to do it. Do you think it's mainly young people watching these programs or adults using this as a sort of reliable source of political news as well? I've got 13-year-old nephews at home who are usually feeling mean about American politics based on what they've seen on John Oliver the night before. Is, is that your feeling as well, that it's mainly a youthful audience? Oh, mainly a youthful audience might be looking at this on YouTube yep. and so much of late-night television is now... Uh, targeted at a YouTube audience. Yeah. So that's why we had people like David Letterman retiring is that he really couldn't do what someone like Jimmy Fallon was doing, yeah. which were create short clips that go online and go viral, and which is probably how most Australians at least would consume Jimmy Fallon's um, late night show. Yeah. The, the late, uh, sorry, the Tonight Show, which is what uh, Jay Leno used to host. So young people are watching it in that channel, in that medium, but older people are watching it on late night television because older people are watching TV, right? especially watching network television. And so we have a traditional uh, television audience uh, consuming what someone like Stephen Colbert is doing. But then it's also getting disaggregated from a network production and going on to venues like Facebook. And Facebook is different from YouTube and who is using it. So you have to look at the demographics of each kind of channel through which media is consumed. Right. And I saw today that uh, sort of Trump is outspending uh, the presidential, uh, the Democratic presidential candidates with Facebook and Google ads. Yeah. He spent something like $5 million. Yeah, it's no, double what all the candidates combined. Combined, yeah. right? Yeah. So he knows who his audience is. And this is a really important question for considering the relationship between how politics plays out in the US and how media operates is to actually work out what audiences are attracted to and consume um, content on which channel. And channel doesn't mean network television channels. It means whether you're getting it through your phone, through YouTube, whether you're logging onto the desktop computer to have your views reinforced on Facebook, or whether you mainly watch uh, your media through traditional venues like uh, uh, network television. How much power and, and prominence of these programs comes from actual television viewers? So you mentioned online and social media before. I mean, are we, are we taking more notice of these shows because they are inherently shareable, these sort of montages and clips and things like that? Is that where their power is coming from? I think a lot of it is. Yeah. Uh, and so much other media is recapping what happened on other media. Yeah, that's right. So the news, I mean, the Washington Post and the New York Times were reported day after, you know, sort of an interview or what, you know, sort of Colbert or Oliver have said the night before, for example. Exactly. Like The Guardian will have, you know, 
weekend wrap-up of what the late-night talk show host said. Yeah. Here's what Colbert said. Here's the clip. We'll embed that. And here's the breakdown if you don't have time to watch the clip. Yeah. And then it's followed by Trevor Noah and then Seth Meyers. Yeah. So a bit of a self-feeding beast there, really. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And this is, again, uh, why Trump has been so energising and, as I said at the top, so good for business, yeah. is that he provides endless content for them. Are there dangers in relying on these type of programs for news and current affairs, do you think, uh, rather than sort of those traditional news magazine type programs? Studies have been done in, say, journalism studies and media studies looking at the consumption of news through non-traditional formats. So, say, satirical news program uh, such as uh, Trevor Noah yeah. uh, and previously, obviously, John Stewart was the big one and Stephen Colbert. Those two really led to a boom in uh, academic research on this topic. And they found that it does hold that younger people get more of their news through non-traditional channels like this, but that the information they were getting was as factually correct as the traditional ones. And even in some cases, they were getting the issue in more depth and a greater amount of time than they were on, uh, say, traditional news formats. So the amount of time that's dedicated to, say, a soundbite from a politician in the 70s was up to 30 seconds. Right. Now, two and a half. Yeah. So what the format of, say, satirical news requires is for you to get a longer listen of what people are saying in order to take it down. You need more um, more of something to react to yeah. in order to demonstrate why your satirical look at it is the correct one. Yeah, full context. That's right. There's been a tiff this week between Jay Leno and John Oliver about civility in late-night comedy. Leno said late-night had become too serious. Uh, let's have a listen to some of their back and forth on this. Everything now is... If people don't like your politics... They, everyone has to know your politics. When I, I kind of use Johnny's model. People couldn't figure out, well, you and your Republican friends, well, Mr. Leno, you and your Democratic buddies, I will, and I would get hate mail from both sides equally. And I went, well, that's fabulous. Yes. That's exactly that's what even, I want. Yes. But when people see you as one-sided, it just makes it tough. And plus, you know, I did it when, uh, you know, Clinton was horny and Bush was dumb, and it was just a little easier. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you know, now it's all very serious. It's, it, everything is just so, so nasty. I just like to see a bit of civility yeah. come back to it, you know? And many comedians have since publicly expressed regret about things they said, although one who hasn't and who was among the most relentless was Jay Leno. And the humidity, man, I'll tell you, people's clothes are stickier than Monica Lewinsky's. Man, it was just... <laughs> Those jokes have not dated well in any sense of the word. And, and they're pretty rough, especially coming from a guy who just this week complained about late night TV, saying he'd like to see a bit of civility come back. You know, like that time that he did a bit with a fake book about Lewinsky titled The Slut in the Hat. And if that's what he means by civility, may I offer my new book, Oh, the Places You Can Go F Yourself, Jay Leno. Look, look how civil I'm being. Look how civil this is. Rodney, do you think there's been a bit of historical revisionism here by Leno, perhaps a bit of jealousy of the reach of, of contemporary late-night hosts? Yeah, he could be uh, jealous of that, and also a notion of civility has to be thought about here. Yeah. So it was civil to kind of constantly go after Monica Lewinsky in what came to be known as the Lewinsky scandal as yeah. opposed to the Clinton scandal. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know, he was the president. Yeah. You know, should have known better. I don't think it's outrageous to kind of say that. And... Now, what is civility around? It's around not calling out the structures of power and authority in the United States that would seem to be having a deleterious effect on the nation. So it's not civil 
to do that. And this sort of speaks to the, something I, I sort of questioned at the top, is whether the political commentary is hard-hitting. Is its problem that it is demonstrating how it is a part of the political sh- machine more broadly? So John Oliver went on, uh, I think the show was called Hardball or something like that, yeah. and told the host, one of whom was Tucker Carlson, so he's the right-wing guy and the yeah. left-wing guy, and they're saying, you, you think you are actually um, criticising politicians, you are getting them to stand up for their policies and, and interrogating them, but you're actually part of the machine. Yeah. Politicians go in knowing the kind of questions that they are going to get. Yeah, have their talking points ready, all that sort of stuff. So it's a well-oiled machine and Trump breaks that because he doesn't go on these shows and he also just directly um, contradicts them, says that they're rubbish and praises a different media product, that being uh, Fox News. Yeah. Uh, Do you think authenticity is a reason that people are drawn to political interviews on late night? Um, After a generation of politicians spouting these sort of same talking points, as I said, on sort of programs like Meet the Press, is late night giving people the chance to see beyond this kind of political hackery? No, I still think it is political hackery. Okay. I got the point I was making previously. Yeah, well-prepared, rehearsed, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, Yeah. that the sort of soft-touch interviews that they're going to get from a uh, late night talk show host, if they're not... Donald Trump, if yeah. they're kind of anyone else, yeah. uh, means that it's like, good luck to you, sir or ma'am. On uh, you know, I wish you all the best. There's going to be no kind of pressing of them. So the authenticity might be just that of you know polite society of how you um, go about the US, and people are actually quite friendly and polite to you. They're kind of very nice people yeah. on the surface. Yeah, that's kind of what happens on late night talk shows because not everyone wants to have a kind of confrontational uh, media product yeah. it before they're going to go to bed. Culture journalism, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one person, as you mentioned, who does not like late night or sketch comedy is President Trump. He's constantly railing against a so-called lack of balance on programs like Saturday Night Live, for example. Do you think that's a good indicator that politicians see these mediums as a, a genuine source of political news now in sort of this contemporary sort of setting, or is it at least as a generator of political? awareness. Yeah, but Trump's sort of, well, it's not a neologism of his, but it's one that has been adopted since he's been using it, that of fake news. And I'm sure he would lump SNL in with CNN as doing the same kind of thing. Which is so bizarre, right? Obviously, it's not a news program. So uh, what is balance in a comedy program? Exactly. Like the fairness doctrine is supposed to apply to a comedy show. Yeah. But I also think SNL doesn't have a leg to stand on here because, you know, they famously had Trump be a host. Yeah, right. And that the only outcome for that was a positive one for Trump. Mm-hmm. One, if they made fun of him, he could talk about how this is proof of the liberal elite media or they didn't make fun of him yeah. and it humanised him yeah. or just put his face out there in more people's TV sets than they had previously. Yeah. So yeah. maybe SNL is trying to make up for that. I don't think so. I just this point that I sort of keep making, that Trump is good for business yeah. and who else are you going to make fun of? Yeah. And in in an equal way, like who else, who is equal to the president of the United States? Yeah, yeah. And Mike Pence isn't exactly ripe for, for you know, satire really. There's yeah. not much you can sort of pull apart there. Yeah, it's kind of an inert um, Barbie doll. <laughs> More like, well, like a kind of very problematic Ken. Right. <laughs> um, do you think it's a justifiable criticism that late night interviews can be a bit softball and, and you know, a means for politicians and presidential candidates to avoid tough questioning? Yes, okay. uh, absolutely. And this was something that uh, John Stewart was countering when he did make that appearance on, I want to say it was hardball, but it was a show that had a uh, confrontational, name, uh, confrontational name like that. And 
they said, like, don't you think you've got them in front of you? Isn't this the chance for you to really ask them the hard questions? Like, I'm a comedy program, you know, I'm followed by puppets. Yep. <laughs> and if I'm the measure of what journalism should be, yeah. like, folks, I've got to tell you, we're in big trouble. Yeah. And he was right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, late night's still largely a uh, domain of men, despite the presence of hosts like Samantha B on cable and uh, the recently announced late night uh, with Lily Singh, uh, who's the only woman to host a late show on a major network since, um, I believe, John Rivers in the 1980s. Um, why is this a space, do you think, that is still struggling with female representation? It's because all spaces are f- struggling with female representation, but there's also something particular about media. Uh, one of the arguments, but say what, something I teach in my unit is, you know, Christopher Hitchens' outrageous on-purpose claim that uh, women aren't funny. Yes. This can't be funny. Yeah. It's, uh, there's biological reasons for it. I mean, he was kind of what we would call trolling now when he was doing that. But the And what's kind of sad is that so much academic research on humour since then begins with this essay, particularly um, kind of any feminist scholarship. And the point there is that it's, of course, an absurdity to say that women aren't funny but it's more why can the Christian exist at all? Mm-hmm. And it has to do with audience expectations. And if an audience is used to getting a kind of male-centred product that is delivered from a uh, stand-up comedian who has by and large been male, and there's something about the uh, stand-up format that speaks to a particular kind of masculinity, that it is a, a kind of authoritative delivering of a point of view yep. from an individual, and it's very adversarial. And so there are these kind of uh, historical reasons why something like late night television has been harder for women to break into. It's also like the general kind of discrimination against uh, women across all different kinds of industry, but also something specific about audience, audience expectations and the nature and conventions of the genre. Uh, something that caught the eye of late night hosts uh, this week in the United States was uh, Egg Boy, who yeah. uh, infamously pranked Fraser Enning, uh, an Australian senator. What do you think, or do you have an opinion on the role of, of, of pranks, I guess, as comedy in, in, in sort of political discourse or politics in general? Yeah, I think they, that actually represents a moment when comedy or humour is not a part of the well-oiled political machine. So instead of asking a question and having a dialogue, you just disrupt how things are supposed to go. Yeah. And hitting someone with an egg, and we were discussing this in class today, we were actually discussing the civil rights movement and we were reading Martin Luther King's letter from Birmingham jail where he's outlining nonviolent direct action. And I think egging someone is the most violent version of nonviolent direct action, yeah. right? I don't want to equate uh, egg boy with Martin Luther King, but there is something to the way that the reaction to his egging the full force of the law must be brought upon Egg Boy. Yeah. Don't worry about the two kind of crosses that Fraser Anning threw at him and then the five men who jumped on him and yeah. did a citizen's arrest, which, you know, it's kind of legally dubious whether you're allowed to do that. And so what the egging does is disrupt, as I was saying before, how things are supposed to proceed. And that, that's exactly what Martin Luther King was doing with the, sitting down at lunch counters. It doesn't, it's not violent to go and sit there, but it disrupts the order of things, yeah. which is the whole point. It's demonstrating the tension, and this is what King talked about, the tension that is already there. And here we have the tension of an Australian senator saying despicable Islamophobic things after the massacre of 50 Muslims in Christchurch. But what's the worst that can happen to him? A censure? But they're going to wave the finger in his face and say, don't say those things. Yeah. But he can still say them again. 
at Rodney Willifinger. Thank you very much. Appreciate you joining us today. Okay. It was great. Thanks for having me. Uh, you can find out more information on Rodney's University of Sydney course, Stand Up USA American Comedy and Humour, at ussc.edu.au. Thanks this week to Ketzer, Zik Rayat, the Bubamara Brass Band, and the Freak Fandango Orchestra for their musical contributions, and the University of Sydney's Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences for their studio assistance.